thank you, Leah, for leading us in worship this morning. Really appreciate that and the spirit uh, in which you lead. Apparently, Martin Luther had a dream one night in which he was being attacked by the devil. The devil came up to him and laid before him a scroll with a long list of sins and with fiendish delight, put it forth in Luther's face and began to read each sin. When he'd finished the scroll, Luther said, is that all? And with a smile, the devil said, no. He brought up a second scroll, thrust it before his face, began to read every sin on that, and then from a second to a third long scroll, highlighting all his misdeeds. And then the devil was done. But Luther said to him, you forgot one thing. Right at the bottom of every scroll, scroll, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. That reminds me of a song. If I could sing it, I would, but I cannot. But David wrote it, and it's in Psalm 32. that starts out with a beatitude, much like the beatitudes we find in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, But this is a beatitude about forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Please note it does not say, blessed is the one who never sins. But blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose iniquity the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit There is no guile. That's a fascinating word, blessedness. In this particular context, the Hebrew word highlights the feeling of joy or happiness. That's why in some translations, like the Good News translation, it is translated happy. Blessedness is more than just happiness, but it is Happiness, it's an exuberant term. It's the same word that is used in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That man is happy. The happy soul, the blessed soul. And while the happiness is found in Psalm 1 in delighting in the word, the happiness of Psalm 32 is found in the forgiveness of sins. And truly that individual is very happy. If you look at these two verses, you'll notice that our infractions, our sins, are threefold. You have the word transgression mentioned in verse one, uh, a wrongdoing, a stepping over a boundary line, uh, an intentional offense, something we do wrong. And then the word sin, or sins in the plural at the end of verse one, uh, has the concept of missing the mark. It's like shooting an arrow at a target and you not only miss the bullseye, you miss the target. Uh, 
Your intention is to do right, but you sadly miss reaching up to that particular standard. And the third word is the word iniquity. Verse two, blessed is the one whose iniquity. Sometimes the word sin is just used, but this talks about moral corruption of the soul. So our infractions are three. With the breaking the law and not keeping the law, omissions, and internal corruption. To which there are three aspects of God's mercy in these two verses. Number one, the idea of forgiveness, which is to lift a burden. The idea of covering, which is to conceal and put out of sight. A couple years ago, I went to the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, which is housed at Ohio State University. And I went there because the originals of my favorite cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes, were there. Bill Watterson, somewhat mysterious, doesn't make himself known, but he donated to his alma mater the originals of Calvin and Hobbes. So I went in to do some godly research. (laughs) I was the only one there, as I recall, and a wonderful lady came in and said, well, what would you like to see? I said, bring me anything. So she brought open a huge book, I don't know how big it was, and I had to wear white gloves. And I opened it up and saw some of the very cartoons that I had read before. But here's the thing that amazed me. Almost every box of a cartoon was filled with opaque fluid. We call it whiteout. When you make a mistake, you put whiteout on something and it takes it out of sight. And I was surprised because I thought, when I see these cartoons, there is no mark. There is no whiteout, but almost every one had to be adjusted. And I thought to myself, isn't it great that God doesn't use whiteout because sometimes the original writing bleeds through. God not only covers it up, he lifts it away. And then the final word is this word not counted. It's removed from our record Blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not count their iniquity, their sins against them. As Pastor Doug read from Psalm 103, if God kept a record of all of our wrongs, if we had to stand and answer for them, none of us would be saved. Indeed, if God didn't forgive, heaven would be empty. But God is a God of mercy. Charles Spurgeon is the one who said, blessedness is not ascribed to the law keeper, but rather to the humble lawbreaker, the contrite soul, who by grace so rich and free has been fully forgiven. And I'm not so sure that this wonderful gospel truth has captured our soul. You say gospel truth. You're talking about the Old Testament, 
King David writing down. Yes, but if you were to go to the New Testament book of Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul quotes this very section of scripture to talk about the mighty grace that comes through Christ through faith so that all our sins are forgiven. And with his stamp of approval, his mark of authenticity upon the gospel of Christ using, of course, the Old Testament, we have the blessedness that is found to those who by faith trust Jesus to wash their sins away. Oh, I could never stand against that record, but God has expunged. He does not count my sin against me. He has lifted off the burden. He has covered my sin, and I am blessed when I am forgiven. I think it's God's will for us to live in that condition of blessedness. I think it's his desire that we would experience the happiness, the joy, the deep-seated peace that comes when God has reconciled us to himself through the atoning death of Christ on the cross. But the author, David, I remember something about David, and he does too. When he sat down with quill and parchment to write this particular song, he was in a blessed state, but as he was writing, he remembered there was a different time when it was not so. And so the picture of the blessed soul, and there are three portraits here that David gives to us early on in his song. The portrait of the blessed soul is now a picture of the burdened soul. Look at the transition in verse three. But when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then the notation which probably means pause and think of that, Selah. David became a troubled, burdened soul when he was silent about his sin. Verse five talks about the fact that he was trying to cover up his sin. Do you ever cover up your sin or try? You know, some people say that baseball is the national pastime. Others say that the sport of football has eclipsed baseball as our national pastime. I think our national pastime is trying to hide our sins from God. You'll notice in verse two, the blessed person is a person without deceit, but you'll notice in verse three and four, David is living in deceit. And not honest and open about his sin. And the sad tale is told in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And you probably know the story fairly well. Few thought King David was capable of this. He was a well-beloved leader. Yes, he had a penchant for women. And yes, it was a period of time when God allowed 
people to have more than one wife. It wasn't his plan, but he winked at the situation. And David in his position with his authority could have had many more if he wanted them. But when he took another man's wife and killed the man in the taking, he incurred the wrath of God. Yes, the man after God's own heart. He tried to deceive himself, I'm sure, with words like, I am king. (laughs) I can have what I want. Or this is a small thing compared to all the wickedness that is around us. I think he tried to deceive himself. There's no doubt he tried to deceive the other people. Because when Bathsheba came to David and said, David, I'm pregnant. From that one night stand, David went into cover-up mode. Bring Uriah home from the front, her husband. Bring him here quickly. Uriah, you're my friend. You're one of my trusted laborers or workers or soldiers. Go, take a, a couple days leave and spend time with your wife. And David is thinking then everyone, when the baby is born, will know it's Uriah's. But Uriah, a man of integrity, slept on his porch and said, how can I go into my wife when my friends and companions are battling for their lives? That didn't work. So David said to the commander, Joab, this is what I want you to do. I want you to attack the enemy. I want you to put Uriah in the front and get close enough to the wall, which is a stupid thing to do, so that the archers can shoot down on our men. Joab said, what are you doing? David said, just do it. And then when the battle is hot, I want you to call retreat. So Uriah is caught up in the front and loses his life, and that's exactly what happened. When Joab sent the message back to David through a messenger that indeed this is what had happened, and he thought David might get mad, he said, just make sure you tell King David that Uriah, the Hittite, died. So David goes into this mode of cover-up When he gets the news, he brings Bathsheba into his home after days of mourning and makes her his wife. Hoping that the period of time being so small from conception now to this forced marriage, that people will think that the child born to David is none other than David's son. It says in 2 Samuel verse 11, but the thing that David did had displeased God. You can cover your sins from other people, but you cannot cover your sins from God. Just ask Adam and Eve. David tried for nine months. It wasn't until the baby was born that he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and finally acknowledged his sin Imagine that, nine months, a year of deception. But Bathsheba knew the truth. David really knew the truth. The servant that David sent to get Bathsheba on that fateful night came back to David and said to him, but David, 
this woman is married, and she's married to your friend, Uriah, one of your best soldiers. And David said, go get her. Joab, the commander, knew, and God always knows. Numbers 33, 22, be sure your sin, what's the rest of it? We'll find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Paul said to Timothy, you know, sins are interesting things. Sometimes they catch us in this life and publicly everyone knows what we've done. But some sins follow us, dogging us all the way to the judgment. And then we will be found out. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're putting yourself into this story like I did, it's about at this time I'm ready to cry in despair. There is no hope, and there is no help. The burden that David went through is described quite graphically in verse three and four in a list of psychosomatic illnesses. David talks about his bones wasting away and groaning all day long. A psychosomatic illness is a physical illness that is connected to some mental issue or problem aggravated by stress or a guilty conscience. Your hand is heavy upon me, verse four. So David knew the one who was putting on the pressure. David knew for sure that this was God convicting his conscience and he couldn't run away. But he still went to temple worship and he still offered sacrifices because he was in cover-up mode. But there were a group of people who knew and God knew. He was in poor health, there was no peace, he had little energy. Notice that his strength was sapped, like in the heat of summer. Think of a day that may come next month where the temperatures are close to 100 and the humidity is about as high as it gets and you're doing a task outside in the sun. Why, you have little energy. David was like that every day. The physical trauma in his soul was created by spiritual disobedience. And like the people in Paul's day in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that is why many are weak and sickly among you, and some even sleep, because you disobey God's command in taking the Lord's Supper. Famed psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said, if I could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, over half of them could be dismissed tomorrow. Now, those of you who struggle with mental illness, don't take that the wrong way. People with mental illness are suffering that not because of their sin because of chemistry and the imbalance thereof. But the scriptures do show us that there are some, indeed, who could point the cause to disobedience, and that's why their life 
is wasting away. God's hand was heavy on David. Why? Because he didn't like him? No. Because he was upset with him? Well, he was very displeased. And there are consequences to sin. But God's hand was heavy upon him to bring him back so that he could be restored. For that's the heart of God. The strange ways are judgment and the natural ways are mercy and love. Now the burdened soul becomes the broken soul. As we read in verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you. In, a, in another psalm, a penitent psalm of David, Psalm 51, he says, sacrifices are not what you want. A broken spirit is what you're after. A, broken, a brokenness of heart, oh God, you will not despise. God's after the broken heart because that's the place where he can mend and heal and restore and help. But the proud heart or the hiding heart finds no mercy from God. Then, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I stopped covering up my iniquity, the wicked, immoral state of my soul. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And there are your options to cover up or fess up. To try to deceive or to be one in whom there is no deceit and you're open and honest about your sin. David confessed his sin. I didn't plan on sharing this because it's another Calvin and Hobbes, but it is appropriate. In the cartoon, Calvin says to his tiger friend Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie those names and hurt her feelings. I'm really sorry I did that. Hobbes said, maybe you should apologize. Calvin pondered that for a moment and then he said, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. Repentance? Oh, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. To declare my sin, to be open and honest about my dark heart, there is no other solution. This is it. So David confesses his sin. And God forgives him. Oh, there are consequences as the story goes, but David is washed in the blood of the lamb. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder, said D.L. Moody. And it's not just that God takes away our sin, but notice the last part of verse five, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
You're not in a blessed state until your sin is out of God's sight and your sin is out of your sight. You say, but I cannot forget my sins. Then go to the one who can. And plead them before the throne of grace and leave them covered under the blood of the Lamb and take his promise, your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Because we're never blessed until the guilt is handled. How do you handle the guilt just like Luther did? All these things you said of me are true. But under each one is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses me from all iniquity. In Isaiah 61, verse 3, God is the one who bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Because he is the God who loves to forgive. He's a specialist in making something beautiful out of something broken. And the files of heaven, as Chuck Swindoll said one time, are filled with redeemed and restored rebels and renegades and sinners just like you and me. How blessed it is to be forgiven. So have you ever totally blown it? Well, not as bad as David. I mean, that's the game we play, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I've sinned, but it's nothing like David. I'm not even sure we should be put in the cate- same category. Oh, you are. I am. In fact, it's the mercy of God that all of us are put into one category and made sinners by the sin of Adam. So that all of us could be put in one category and redeemed by the obedience and sacrifice of one man, the second Adam, Jesus. What a mercy of God that is. Imagine finding a personal savior for every sinner and you couldn't use one a second time. We've all sinned miserably, and we wonder, can I recover? Some of you are thinking that right now. In fact, you've already given up. My sin is so heinous, and it's so repeated, that there is no hope for me. And the answer is, that's true, except in repentance before God and in trusting Jesus Christ. Satan says you're finished, you're washed up, you're forgotten, unsalvageable. But God delights in making something beautiful out of something broken. Not too long after I came to South, It was 1997, Oldsmobile had its 100th anniversary. Remember that? And they had a parade through the city. I saw some of the cars, but not the whole parade. 
And they had an Oldsmobile from every production year except two, 1907 and 1914. Some of you might have been in that parade. I'm sure Ed Shan was. But the thing about those Oldsmobiles, most of them looked brilliant and beautiful just like they'd come off the assembly line. And yet we know the truth. Many were junkers just years before. But someone with a lot of time and bundles of money lovingly restored that car into pristine condition. They had an Oldsmobile show uh, just over here at the hotel, and one Saturday I went over there and talked to one guy, had a beautiful car, I said, that is just amazing, it's immaculate. Says, yeah, all it took was all my 401k and every spare time I had. (laughs) They were restored. (laughs) What does it take to restore you? The infinite gift of God's son who died in your place so that you could be happy, blessed to the nth degree with all of your sins taken away. There is a story that comes out of Spanish culture of a father and his teenage son, Poco, Paco. Extremely common name in Spain at the time. The two were estranged. The son got angry and ran away from the control of his father. He went to Madrid, secretly hoping to become a matador. And after a while, his father realized the loss, desperate to reconcile, went off to find him. All he knew was that he was in Madrid. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in one last attempt to find his son, he went to the Madrid newspaper and put it this put this ad in the paper, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon this Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And that Saturday, over a hundred men named Paco showed up. Because we're all looking for forgiveness and love from our Heavenly Father. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds my sin and my guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there, there where the, that's where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. And to my soul, grace and blessedness. Let's pray. Dear friend, you are here today for a divine reason and I don't know what it is, but God does. Maybe you've been covering your sins and you've never turned to Jesus for salvation. Today is the day, this moment is the hour. Confess with your heart that you are a sinner broken like David, contrite of spirit, owning your sin and turning to him for forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will not turn you away. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you do that? Lord, save me today. And then, dear Christian who has blown it, and maybe you're trying to hide your sin, and there's a few people that know, but you think you've covered it pretty well. I want you to know that covering your sin doesn't take care of the problem, and it leads to a horrible existence, a traumatic life, tortured by guilt. There's only one way to deal with our sin. It's not to imagine it never happened. It's not to say that it's not that important. The only way we deal with our sin is to come to Christ and say, I have sinned. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my transgressions. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And you can become God's next restoration project. You cannot cannot out-sin the grace of Almighty God. Come. With repentance of heart, come. And find the blessedness of a soul forgiven in whom God does not reckon any iniquity. Lord, hear our prayer. Save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I love that. You cannot out the grace of God. <laughs>